Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year, Seasoners! I hope you all had a great Xmas and New Year's, and I hope the hangovers are not too rough today. I promise to talk real softly in case you have a headache. No matter, today's guest is guaranteed to get rid of your New Year's hangover. Just don't quote me on that. I have waited more than a year to interview this guest. Was it because they were playing hard to get? Uh, no. They just did not see my message and Facebook Messenger. It happens. A lot of you probably have invitations from me and have never checked your other inbox. So please do that this year. Thank you. <laughs> she worked for Club Med from 2015 to 2022, and her first season was in Club Med Cancun as a reception geo. She became a chef de village in 2019, and then in 2021, she was named the Public Relations and Corporate Social Responsibility Manager for North America and the Caribbean. Who is this mystery guest that is kicking off another year of my first season? Well, it's the one and truly only Sophia Luca. Sophia, Happy New Year. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Happy New Year as well. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Yes, we have more in store in 2024 and you are helping me kick it off. So thank you so much. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored to be able to, to start the new year for this podcast. You know, thank you after a year for checking your messages and, and Facebook Messenger that, you know, if you checked it sooner, well, yes, you know, I have been talking sooner when when I uh, first started following your podcast, I saw it on LinkedIn. And of course, I listened to some of my great mentors, Hammer and Howard. And I was like, this is just such a great podcast. I would love to go on and tell my story. And then I come to find after I connected with you that, you know, you had already messaged me and I just never saw it. So I guess better late than never. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and then you probably wouldn't be helping me kick off the New Year's Eve one, right? I mean, right. it was meant perfect. to be this way. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you have a very interesting background. We'll get into that before we jump into Club Ed. Thank Born you. in L.A. That's yes. from Denmark. Mother's Japanese. And your mother, you told me, was a traffic and planning geo for one year in the 80s, correct? Yes, exactly. So born and raised in, in California, very international, kind of mixed up culturally family. And my mom did have uh, that Club Med experience in the early 80s and um, was always very fond of Club Med and, and had great memories from that time in her life. So yeah, I, I already had that exposure just from from hearing about it from her secondhand. And also, you attended UCLA. You have a bachelor's degree in international development studies with a minor in global studies. So you wanted to make it really hard on you, like when you were going there. <laughs> graduated yeah. magna cum laude so we know you're very smart now well, thank okay. you <laughs> i'm gonna try and uh you know uh increase my vocabulary here this, oh, this no. hour with you. <laughs> no, i was yes. i was a very ambitious uh very ambitious and i should say very studious uh very academic young person before you know my club med days which which helped me grow into so many other things so and we couldn't keep you away from school because last year, 2022, sorry, you had a, a hospitality management certificate from Cornell University, right? Yes. Yes, I did. That was a fantastic program. I would recommend, you know, eCornell online to anyone. They have a great range of courses, you know, if you want to learn something new or just refresh your skills. Was it uh, rough having to go to school again and study? Like since you graduated in 2014, was, you know, any, was I, it like a shock to you? Or? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm someone actually who always really enjoyed school. I always really enjoyed learning and kind of having that 
mental stimulation. So I, I wouldn't have done it, I think, if I didn't feel that it was something I was motivated to do. But it it, it is definitely a commitment, you know, especially if you're working full time, you have to find the time in the evenings or sometimes even on the weekends to make sure you finish everything on time. So it wasn't it wasn't too bad, but I wouldn't recommend someone to do it unless they were really committed to it for sure. And yeah. I'm sure you know all about that. So yeah, yeah, you just described my, my life now because <laughs> Work full time, school part time, but so we're friends like asking you, Sophia, it's Saturday night, let's go out. And you're like, oh no, I got to read this textbook. Uh, you is know, that what was happening? Thankfully, no. Um, the way that the course works is that they kind of recommend, you know, whenever you start a new module, it tells you how much how many hours um, it's going to take and that you should do, you know, X number of hours per day in order to keep it manageable. So I, I stayed pretty much on that track and, um, and it was fine for me. So thankfully, no, it, it didn't take over my life in that way. It was, it was manageable. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so you graduate in 2014, like we said, was this the moment where you said, you know, before I start working and get a corporate job, should I... <laughs> Or was your mom encouraging you to apply to Club Med? How did that yeah, happen? It's, it's a great question because, I mean, you know, looking back on it now, it's so funny. It was the last thing that I ever thought that I would do um, at that moment, because as I as I explained to you, I was at that time, I was very, very studious, very academic, very serious. And I had all of these ideas about you know, going straight to grad school and, you know, going into academia or, you know, going to work for the UN. I had a really these lofty ideas of, of what I wanted to do with my life and was trying to kind of figure out, okay, what's my next step? Where do I start? What's going to be the most intelligent way to invest my time in order to, to build this future that I wanted? And, you know, as I was trying to kind of figure that all out, my mom came up with this idea one day and she said to me, you know, I had such a great time when I was young working for Club Med and I know that they're still out there and I think that it would be a great experience for you just to live a little and loosen up and experience something other than just going to school. And, you know, I was like, mom, that's a terrible idea. Like, that's just going to distract me from my goals and I'm going to get off track. And, you know, that doesn't really have anything to do with with what I have in mind for the future. And she kept bringing it up. And, you know, it was funny because then I started to research Club Med. I had, I knew about Club Med, but I started to look into it more. I think that after a few times of mentioning it, it started to pique my interest. And what really drew me to Club Med as a brand at that time is just all of the information that was out there about like the Club Med Corporate Foundation and, you know, Club Med sustainability goals as like a sustainable hospitality company, which I think a lot of people don't even know when they think of Club Med. And so I was thinking, you know, that's really cool. I'd like to be part of a company that's so active in that space. And they're kind of ahead of their time in that regard. And I've always loved traveling. I've always loved hotels. Um, you know, I grew up traveling. Both of my parents were in the, the travel and tourism industry. So I just thought, okay, you know, why not? Let's just give it a try. I'll apply. Who knows if they'll even take me? Who knows if they'll ever even call me back? But if they do, then I'll just consider that that's fate. And, you know, I'll go and do that for a summer and just have that experience and learn something new. So it was definitely her at the beginning suggesting it. And, and then I caved and, and I was glad that I did. So. And where was your interview? So I applied online initially, and then it ended up kind of being this serendipitous situation where Club Med was hosting um, one of their famous kind of audition 
rounds uh, in LA where I was, you know, obviously living at that time, just, you know, 20 minutes from, from my parents' house at a hotel. So they called me and they said, Hey, next week, we have all of the HR teams and a couple of, you know, resort general manager, chef de villages, who will be at this audition um, looking for new talent for, for the resorts. So do you want to come? So I went to that audition round and uh, that's, that's where it all started. It was, you know, kind of a, a giant interview round. It kind of reminded me of like American Idol, where all of these people are sitting and waiting to be interviewed. And, you know, you kind of talk to a few different people and, and then hope that they're going to call you back to, to come and work in one of the villages. And did you sing a song for your audition? <laughs> I, I I think that you're very familiar with this process. And it was so funny to me because, you know, I went in very formal, you know, I think I was like wearing a blazer and I had a copy of my resume and oh I, I, you know, I, <laughs> so I did all of my interviews and I, you know, I thought it was great. One of the the people that interviewed me was Nicola Gala, who would go on to be my, my first chief of village, but you know, so after all of that part of it was done, they kind of got everyone together and had us, you know, act out these different scenarios and kind of do uh, like a game of improv. And they kind of told us about the crazy signs and they did a crazy sign for us. And then we had this challenge where we were broken up into teams and we had to create our own crazy sign. And this was where I was like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be something that pushes me out of my comfort zone because, you know, performing or dancing in front of people is just so not something that I was comfortable with at that time. So I remember being a little bit nervous, but um, I did my best. <laughs> What's What song did you make up your crazy sign to? Oh my gosh. I, I don't even remember. But what I do remember is that they taught us hands up because that was kind of the, I think the easiest slowest one for people to follow if they didn't know any of the crazy signs and it's obviously a classic so I just remember that song you know right from the beginning and it's just a song that people automatically associate with Club Med of course. So did you wind up in Cancun with uh, Nicola by fluke or did she like earmark you when she was interviewing you? Um, he, yeah, he. Oh, uh, sorry, he. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. No worries, Italian. Sorry, name. Nicola. Dispiace <laughs> molto. Dispiace molto. So yeah, so as I said at the uh, audition, I spoke with a few different, you know, recruiters, and then uh, he asked to interview a few after kind of watching and observing, and so one of them was me, and it was very quick. You know, we talked for maybe. 10 minutes. He just asked about my background and why I was interested in Club Med. And then, you know, he had seen on my resume that I wrote that I was a, a Spanish speaker and a French speaker. So he said, okay, let's speak a little Spanish and like, let's test your skills. And, you know, I was very comfortable with that. I had taken years of Spanish at that point, but the French, you know, I was really just a beginner and he's like, okay, so now let's, let's see how you're doing with French. And I'm like, oh gosh, like, I don't think I can do a whole interview, but you know, I managed to answer some basic questions. I'm like, okay, I hope that was, that was good enough. And then he told me, okay, you know, thank you. And, and then that was it. And a week later, I got a call from Maria Torres, who is still, you know, an HR business partner working for Club Med North America. She's incredible. She was my, you know, in charge of my career for, for a number of years. So that was the my first call I ever got from her saying, you know, the chief of village uh, at Club Med Cancun, Nicola Gala, really liked your profile. would like to invite you to come join his team there. And that was that. And prior to Cancun in 2015, you had never 
even been to Club Med as a, as a guest, right? No, yeah, and it's it's so funny because obviously my mom had that that connection, but you know, as I was telling you earlier, both of my parents worked in the travel and tourism industry and had so many different industry connections that we really got to enjoy a lot of great trips all over the world, but none of them happened to be, you know, going to Club Med. And my parents, they're also, you know, they're very adventurous travelers, you know, they like to go and visit cities and, you know, go into the jungle and, you know, resort vacations were something we only did, you know, maybe a handful of times in my life. So I had never experienced it personally, no. So I was going in really like, what's this going to be? <laughs> Were you shocked at all the crazy sign dancing you had to do? Like, <laughs> did you have some culture shock in that regard? <laughs> yeah, you know, I just remember my my first couple of days after I arrived at Club Med Cancun and just being so overwhelmed by everything that was going on. And, you know, there's things happening morning, afternoon, evening, late at night. There's It's just it never stops. And there was just so much going on around me, so many people to meet, so many things to learn. And I just felt, oh my gosh, like I'm never going to be able to keep up with this. But um, I just remember also feeling like everything going on around me was so much fun. I mean, people were just having a blast and it was, I had never been in an environment like that truly where there was just such a fun atmosphere and everyone was happy and um, everyone was enjoying their job. And I guess for you, reception seemed like a a fit, right? Like, I mean, a natural fit, right? (laughs) Yeah. So when I first applied, you know, I was thinking, okay, you know, where can I actually excel here and have something to offer? Because obviously at that point I had never worked in a hotel before. I wasn't particularly athletic, you know, and then kids, I I enjoy kids, but, you know, working with kids all day, every day was probably not something I had the patience for. And I was just thinking, okay, what department is one where I know I could do good work? And, you know, I'm very strong administratively. I'm a good problem solver. Um, So I felt, okay, reception is probably my best bet. Okay. And roughly how long did you spend at Cancun? Yeah. So I was in Cancun. uh, Originally, I was just going to do the summer. You know, I just wanted that kind of short-term six-month experience. And it's funny because I'm probably the only American that went through the Club Med system who didn't begin in Sandpiper, which was, of course, our, our American-based resort. So I got really lucky. I got to go abroad right away, uh, right off the bat, because they didn't have enough you know, native English speakers on that team and they needed more. So it was, it was just kind of perfect timing, serendipitous once again. So yeah, I went into it thinking, okay, this is great. Everything is awesome. I'm just going to do this, this one like short-term summer experience, and then I'll go home and get on with my life. But you know, at the end of that six months, which I'm sure you you remember, it goes by so quick. Um, and by the time you really start to blend in and get the hang of it, your time is already up. So I remember saying to myself, okay, you know, they're offering me to stay for the winter. So I'll just do that because it's better to have a year's worth of an experience than just six months. So yeah, let's do that. So I stayed for the winter season. And then at that point, Uh, Nicola came to me and basically said, you know, I know you've already done your year here and I know that you're kind of deciding if you want to stay or go home or potentially go somewhere else. But, you know, in another season, we're going to be going to the French Alps to Valmorel. And if you stay with us in Cancun another six months, then you can come with us there. And that was just like the most incredible 
prospect to me, you know, coming from, I was like a Southern California beach kid going to do a winter in the French Alps was like the most exotic experience ever. And I was so excited. So, so that's what I ended up doing. I stayed and in total was in, uh, in Club Med Cancun for a year and a half, a summer, a winter, and then another summer. Sounds like a no brainer. If someone said, Greg, you know, stay an extra six months in Cancun. I'd be like, that's six more months of Coco Bongo uh, done. (laughs) Yeah, done. It was was not an arm twister at all. It was, it was very easy. Yes. You know, I was, I was at that point living my best life. We had the most incredible team. I mean, I still look back on all of my different club med experiences. And I think that that team in Cancun, you know, 22 different nationalities, just like the most amazing people, exemplary in every way and just such a bond that, you know, I was more than happy to, to stay on. So. Now, when you go to the French Alps, you're doing a new, a new position. Like if, so if you can explain to our, say the older geos who yeah. might, might not know what concierge suite and exclusive collection is, that yeah. would be great. Thanks. Yeah, of course. This is a, a newer, I guess, product offering that is kind of becoming uh, increasingly popular in the Club Med portfolio. But, you know, for those of you who are familiar with Club Med, they don't use the star system, you know, four star, five star hotel. They use the Trident. For example, Club Med Cancun is a four Trident resort, which is kind of Club Med's version of saying it's a four star resort, right? You know, in Club Med's strategic decision to start to move upscale, part of that strategy was creating a five Trident product that was still club med in every way, but with added comfort, um, added experiences and and essentially just added luxury. So the standards are different um, in terms of what you get. If you, if you stay in the exclusive collection, um, you stay in suites, you have extra benefits that, you know, the four Trident doesn't offer. And so the way that this works is that there are a number of club med villages around the world that are four Trident villages, but there's a exclusive collection or five Trident area or section. So that was the case in Cancun. And that was also the case in, in Valmorel. It was four Trident with a specific designated space that was five Trident. And there are also, you know, entire club med villages now that are only exclusive collection, but there, there is that mix. So, so yeah, when I went to Valmorel, I, I left the kind of general resort front desk system um, and moved to the exclusive collection, which was higher luxury, essentially. Is it much different? I mean, you know, the basic principles, of course, are the same. The way that you treat the guest, you know, the club med spirit, you you don't want it to be boring and stuffy because, you know, the guests are still coming to club med because they want that, that special club med touch and that fun atmosphere. But it's different in the sense that, you know, it's it's definitely a different price point. The expectations are higher. And then as a concierge, you're not really doing the same kind of general reception, check in, check out, take care of requests, um, you know, coordinate with the other services of the resort. As a concierge, you're really tailoring the stay from A to Z for every single guest that's that's staying with you. So it's it's an added level of knowing the guests being close to the guests, anticipating their needs. So it was a fantastic challenge and I, I really enjoyed it. Sounds like this new job comes with less crazy signs. Am I right? <laughs> oh no, no, no. What? <laughs> no, oh. everything, everything is still the same. It's just that your day job is different. <laughs> okay. Well, so you're mentioned- still, you're still integrated with, with the rest of the village. You're still doing the shows. You're still doing the crazy signs. You're still, 
you know, dining with the clients, um, everything about it is still the same. Okay. So when Gala's Freed, Freed from Desire comes on, you got to go is what you're Oh, uh, yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's just that, you know, my, my eight hour, what I call day job, I was, I was at the exclusive collection concierge desk, but then everything else was just the same. <laughs> So I'm wondering, do the concierge like exclusive collection act like one and say your hotel is in New York? So and you'd like to problem solve. So is there anything that you recall that, I don't know, you made, hap- <laughs> you made happen for a guest that, you know, wasn't easy to do? Or- oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, there were some incredible experiences and stories from that season. You know, for example, we had, and you know, it's really interesting as well because winter in the Alps is a whole different ball game because it really is a seasonal experience and you it's so international in terms of the the gms the guests that are coming to stay and every week you know there's kind of a different nationality that's the majority because of what you know what timeline coincides with the vacation week of that country so i remember the the first week of january we were like 85 percent russian um because that's russian orthodox christmas so everyone has vacation in russia so that's when they all decide to to go ski then you know there were other weeks where it was all turkish other weeks where it was all british other weeks where it was purely brazilian and it was so interesting because obviously all of these nationalities have different tastes and different expectations. They they drink different things, they eat different things, they have a different idea of what service is. So yeah, I just I remember we had some guests who we took them, they checked in, we took them to the suite, and they didn't like the layout of the suite. And he asked me, the the gentleman, he asked me, like, oh, can we can we just knock down this wall? and have it just be more open. And I I was looking at him like, oh my gosh, I I don't think he's joking, you know? And it's so funny because Club Med in general, but then especially, you know, in in the exclusive collection, we operate on this principle of like, you never tell the guests no. You know, that's kind of the golden rule, I guess, of, of hospitality, but certainly in Club Med is, you know, there's no such thing as a no. It's, you have to rephrase your answer to just instead like offer a different solution. And I was like, wow, I think that I'm really stumped on this one. <laughs> I would have went straight to Kramer from Seinfeld and went, that's a load-bearing wall. That's not coming down, Jerry. I would have had that yeah. in my pocket. <laughs> or you really want to please the guest, I guess, take out a hammer and start trying to take that thing down. Yeah, yeah. Call their bluff. That, yeah, that, that was a funny one. So there were, <laughs> there were some funny things like that. But, you know, in general, all of the guests that we had were were lovely. And, you know, there's the occasional thing of like, oh, you know, the the fondue restaurant is full tonight, but this family wants to get in. Like, you know, can you convince the restaurant manager to add an extra table or squeeze them in somewhere? And, you know, I think that that's always kind of the, that's just part of the game. And excuse, excuse me, Sophia, are you saying there was a restaurant dedicated solely to fondue? Oh, yeah. Did I hear that right? Are you for, serious? For those of you who don't know, if you've never been to a Club Med in the Alps, you have to go. Yeah. Fondue Savoyard is and raclette amazing amazing culinary traditions yeah and of course you know you eat so well at club med that you really can enjoy if you go (laughs) and yeah and you stayed the summer at the same resort yes yes so i mean funny thing happened during that season in valmorel i was out of my business unit as as an american i was kind of based out of the north american business unit and then now i was over in europe so i kind of felt like 
I was worried, like, am I kind of detached from the Miami headquarters where like everybody's going to forget about me or no one's going to really like follow what I'm doing or, or check in with me. Um, and at that time, I was kind of realizing that I wanted to continue this lifestyle and this this profession for a while, but I wanted to grow. And so now that I was working in the exclusive collection at that time as a concierge, my kind of natural next step was then to become a supervisor um, and then resident manager, which is essentially like you're in charge of the entire exclusive collection portion of, of the resort. So that was my goal. And I was really intent on um, making sure that I spoke up about wanting to have that opportunity and wanting the development and that hopefully, you know, they would give me the chance to, to keep growing. And then while I was in Balmoral that season, a gentleman by the name of Areski Haddad, who uh, was working in human resources at that time for, for the European region, he happened to be in the resort. You know, my manager at that time, Natasha, who is still to this day, one of my most amazing mentors, um, she said, oh, you know, Sophia, you should meet Oreski. Um, he's part of HR. It's just good for him to, to know who you are and know that we have an American here. So, you know, we kind of set like an informal meeting. We we met and we started talking and he started asking me about my career. And um, he said, OK, so what's your what's your ambition here in, in Club Med? And I said, oh, I'd like to be a resident manager, you know, exclusive collection manager. And then he looks at me and he says, oh why not chef de village? And I was stunned, you know, I, I couldn't figure out if he was like pulling my leg or if he, he really meant it on top of that, the conversation was in French and, you know, I was still kind of, you know, learning French at that point. I was, I could hold a conversation, but I'm like, did I understand that? Right. You know? And I just said, I think like the first thing I blurted out of my mouth was, Oh, but there aren't any American chief of villages. Like, so I didn't really even realize that you would consider an American since it's a French company. And he's like, oh, no, like on the contrary, you know, we have a really diverse group of, of potentials. And I think that, you know, if you're interested, you you could fit into that group and we could develop you and and you have a real chance. Like you have a lot of qualities that that we're looking for. And I was just like, I was so stunned. I it completely didn't expect that at all. Okay. That's, so this was a chance encounter. But I, I wonder, do you think if you hadn't gone to Valmorel, like, like, cause I always curious about fate. Do you think? Right. Right. Well, I mean, like, I, it definitely was a feeling like this was an important moment that I was lucky not to miss. And so then he's like, okay, like take my email. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to, you know, the teams over in Miami and check in with them about you. And, you know, then like way later, I remember talking to Hammer about this. Hammer, of course, who was in charge of, um, you know, director of village and resort HR at that time for for North America. You know, those of you who have been in Club Med know who he is, of course. But I remember talking to him about it at one point. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I jokingly like I had to go all the way to France to to get scouted out for for this chief of village gig. And, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. Like we already, you know, had our eye on you and, you know, his kind of noticing you and talking to you just kind of affirmed it. And, and then we were we were ready to put you in the program and, and we believed in you. So I think if, if anything, it just, it really helped my chances, but I was, I was terrified, honestly, I wasn't even sure that I had it in me and that I really wanted to do it at first. So I had to think about it. Well, but then they give you resident manager. You still stay in the Alps. You go to Val d'Isère next, correct? 
Correct. You know, and then that was kind of a relief because I was, I was really scared. Like, oh my gosh, what if, you know, I, I do this whole development program to become a chief of village and then I don't have what it takes or, you know, they decide like, oh, actually, you know, we don't think that you're going to make it. I was just, I was so afraid of failing or of them kind of changing their mind about their initial kind of belief in me. So I was relieved when they said, well, you know, just for now, continue on your current trajectory. Um, next winter, we do have an opening for, for exclusive collection manager in Val d'Isere. So you would stay in France for now. And, you know, it's it's not going to be something that will will be a rush. Like, we'll make sure that you're really comfortable. And if it happens, like that you're really ready. If you're not ready, then it won't happen. So, yeah, I stayed in France. Um, so at that point, I was going on my third straight season in the Alps and I went to Val d'Isere. Okay. And you stayed for about, what, six months though, or a year? Yeah. So this is kind of where things start to get interesting because I think that my entire kind of club med career up until that point had been fairly, I would say like stable and predictable. You know, I started in Cancun. I kind of knew that I was going to be staying there for a while. You know, when the end of the season was coming up, they were telling me, okay, I would like you to stay. Okay. Then after this, you're going to go here. This is the plan. I went to Valmorel, same thing, you know, stay here for the year and then you're going to go to Valdez. So I always, I was very lucky in the sense that I always kind of had an idea of like the next two steps. And then uh, everything kind of changed because halfway through, by, by this time I had officially been added to the potential chief of village development program. So we were meeting, you know, having these calls and meeting every so often. And we had certain objectives and trainings that we were doing, you know, from afar. And so I was in the program, I was considered a potential chief of village. And then I had only been in the program for like a month. And then I get this, this call saying, okay, you're going to go to the chief of village or pot chief of village development center in Marrakesh. And I was like, what's that? You know, Hey, I didn't even realize that I was going to already be included in this group. And so, you know, it's, it's, they have it every year. They call it the, the pot CDV uh, development center. And it's essentially like kind of like a training, but also kind of like an evaluation where um, all of the HR teams worldwide are there. Um, existing chief of villages are there. All of these kind of like club med stakeholders to have a week to basically interact with you, see you in training, um, do different assessments, do role playing, do public speaking. And then they kind of decide, okay, who is, who's really ready sooner, who's like short-term, midterm, long-term, and then what's going to be the development plan for, for each of these people. So, so I, I went to Marrakesh um, and then I came back and I'm like, yeah, I think that I still need more time, but that was like a fascinating experience and just like solidified. Okay. No, I really do think that I have what it takes. You know, I, I remember going to that assessment and feeling more confident and doing better than I expected to. So that kind of gave me that boost of, of motivation. And then about halfway through my season in Val d'Isere, I get a call directly from Xavier Mufraji, who was at that time the CEO of Club Med North America. And he was very involved with um, all of the potential chief of villages, just as, you know, out of interest, he was, was such a great developer and he was always very involved in kind of keeping up with us and how we were, how we were going on our journey. And so he calls me um, and he says, you know, listen, we have a need in Columbus. Can you go next week? And he's like, you know, we, we haven't told 
your chief of village that you have to leave yet. We wanted to ask you first, like if you were even open to it. And then if you are, we'll, we'll get everything moving for you to leave next week and go to the Bahamas. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> you know, and you hear these stories in Club Med that things can really change on a dime, but it hadn't happened to me in that point. So I, I was literally in the French Alps in the middle of, I think it was early March, you know, freezing, freezing temperatures, like snowfall, like they hadn't seen in years. I flew home to LA, I changed out my bags and I flew to the Bahamas and that was that. Yes. One of my favorite places in the world. I spent yeah, uh, mine two, too. Two, mine and too. Half, two and a half years there. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, place. okay. So it's yeah. home for you. <laughs> yeah. It feels like I never, I never asked to go there once, but Club Ed sent me there three times, but no, but I love them for it because it, uh, it's really the only place I call myself. Honestly, home. I think yeah. anybody who has set foot in that place just absolutely falls in love with it. There is something that cannot be explained. There's something magical in the air at Club Med Columbus Isle. It's just incredible. Yes, and the the people of San Salvador. Yes. You know, shout yes. out Hansel Moss. Hansel Hans- Moss, oh the, great one, I, the great one. The great one. I remember meeting Hansel Moss on my first day. That was that was hilarious. Lucky. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because so yeah, that was kind of it was a strange time when that village was kind of in between chef de villages like someone had left and you know the new person wasn't really able to come and they didn't really have anyone filling in as an interim and then you know the person who was going to be coming who was um juju julian lataz he wasn't able to come right away and so they were like okay we need to put someone there who can just kind of lead the team and hold down the fort for you know a month or two So, you know, I'm thrown into this interim experience and I was so nervous that I wouldn't have what it takes, but I'm like, okay, either it's going to go great or it's going to be a learning experience, but either way, here we go. And I remember walking into the resort and, you know, there's this guy sitting at the restaurant eating lunch and everyone seems to know who he is and he knows everyone. And I'm like, okay, like, does he work here? Like, you know, who is this guy? And so like I go and I say hi and then I realize it's Hansel who I've obviously heard about. And so, you know, he was just giving me all this advice about about the village and about, you know, the teams there and and the local people and the island and just telling me kind of like everything that he thought I should know in order to have an easier time kind of taking on this challenge that I wasn't really I didn't really have time to prepare for, just kind of thrown into. And so that was fantastic. He was he was so kind. Yeah, I love Hansel. Uh, what a guy. <laughs> it was guy. funny, though, because I was like, okay, so, you know, then like the next day, I think I saw him like doing a photo shoot on the beach with some with some guests. And I'm like, okay, like, I guess, you know, he's a photographer. And then I remember like a couple weeks later, one of the geos like, you know, took his lunch break and went, you know, on his bike to go leave the village. And I'm like, oh, where are you off to? Because, you know, there's not much going on on the island other than us. <laughs> And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to go train with Hansel. And I was yeah. like, what do you mean train with Hansel? He's like, oh, he he owns a gym on the island and he's a personal trainer. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, I thought he was a photographer. He's like, no, 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 he does both. And then I remember at one point, like, we wanted to have a geo party. And I'm like, well, where can we have? And they're like, oh, let's go to Hansel's sports bar. And I'm like, what do you mean? This guy has a sports <laughs> bar. He has a gym. He's a personal trainer. He's a photographer, like really a jack of all trades. I'm like, okay, it, it makes sense. But I mean, what a great guy. 
Yeah. 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 He does it all. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, you know, very, very, you know, dependable every time you, you need help or need some advice. Now, before, before you get to your first village though, you go through Sandpiper, La Caravelle and Punta Cana. You spend a, you spend like a summer in Sandpiper, two to three months in La Caravelle, Punta Cana. You're there from 2018 to 2019, correct? Yeah. So this is kind of the, the chapter of my career that I call like the, the fixing it part of my career, because that's kind of how Kevin Bad explained it to me at one point. He was like, you know, you're a pot CDV. Like we really want you to become a chief of village. And as an American representing North America, we're just going to, you know, rely on you when there is an issue in a resort or something that needs to be better. We're going to send you in and see if you can do it. And that'll be your test. So it was interesting because my first one was, you know, going to Columbus for this kind of like short interim period, which ended up to be a great experience and everything went very well. And I think that's where I really got my first bit of credibility, right. As someone who could potentially really, really become a chief of village one day. And then Kevin tells me, okay, so, you know, we have something going on in Sandpiper. This is going to be kind of your focus. We're having a problem with retention of, you know, first season American GOs. So, you know, go in and figure that out and, you know, try to fix that for us. And and that turned out to be great. I worked with Karim Faj and, and Sandpiper, Moroccan chief of village. He was by far my best and most memorable on the field mentor, like really teaching me what it means to be a chief of village and how to manage your resort and how to manage your team and really how to, how to keep everything under, under control and how to make the guests happy. I mean, he really just had it all and he was such a great teacher. Um, so then I finished up there and then my next kind of job that, that Kevin gave me was, okay, now you're going to go to the French West Indies. You're going to go to, to Guadeloupe because um, we're getting more and more Americans going there, but the entire team is French. So there's a really low satisfaction from the American clientele. So go in there and, you know, figure that out. So I went there and, you know, was fully invested in, in being there. And it was such a great experience to be in, you know, the French part of the Caribbean. It was just an interesting culture, interesting history, something different for me. And then I was like, I was maybe two or three months into that experience that Kevin called me one night and he said, you're not going to believe it, but I need you to go to Punta Cana. <laughs> and this was like the week before Christmas in 2018. And I was like, all right, you know, like it's, it's game time. I want to become a chef de village. I'm down for the challenge and I'm happy to be able to experience as many villages and teams as I can. So then, yeah, I ended up in, in Punta Cana and it was funny because that experience was really an interesting one because we were two potential chef de village working in Punta Cana. It was myself and then Kevin Gagne, Canadian guy, who's who he's a chief of village today, actually. So we were two, two potentials, um, kind of both in the like assistant chief of village role, which was unheard of. I mean, they would never put two, two people trying to become a chief of village in the same resort together because just wasn't the way it was done. So we kind of both knew that this next promotion coming up, we both wanted it. And we both knew that there was a very slim chance that they would choose two North Americans. It was probably only going to be one or the other. So it was funny. It was a funny uh, dynamic between us that season, for sure. 
the way we didn't get into why they sent you to Punta Cana. Was it because the oh, water, wait, wait, yeah. was the water, what, the water was too blue. The pillows were too soft. What, no, was, what was going so, on in Punta? So um, have you been to uh, Club yes. Punta Cana recently? No, recently? No. Okay. So I don't know if you have seen the Zen Oasis um, since they constructed it. So it, that the Zen Oasis is, is a newer part of the resort, more recently renovated, and it's an adult-only section. There are 78 couples, suites, a bar, a concierge service, dedicated housekeeping service, dedicated maintenance service. Excuse um, me, Sophia, did you say that inside a family resort, they made a section that's adults only? Correct. Yep. Wow, I did not yep. know that. Cool. Yeah. So, and it's called the Zen Oasis and it's, it's basically like its own little boutique hotel within the greater club med. And they found themselves without a manager there. So I went and, and I took care of that for that season. And yeah, so it was both Kevin and I, and it's funny because, you know, he's, he's from Quebec. I'm, I'm American. He's super athletic and, you know, very sporty and very outgoing and obviously coming from, you know, the leisure side of things. And I was, you know, I wouldn't say quiet, but I had a different character, different personality. I was really coming up from the hotel service side of things and we were just complete opposite profiles. And, you know, it's funny because today we're like best friends. He's still one of the best friends I have from my club med time of my life we everyone I think expected us to really dislike each other and be super competitive and and not get along and try to step on the other's toes but we just ended up being this like incredible balanced duo and then we both ended up actually making it into the promotion together so that was probably one of my greatest memories from my time in club med was that night that we were both surprised with that was my next question so (laughs) how did they how did they do it So it's funny because, you know, the way that Club Med kind of selects and identifies its chief of village candidates. I mean, the thing that's so fantastic about Club Med is that every chief of village was an internal promotion. You know, nobody comes from the outside and becomes a resort general manager or a chief of village from Club Med. It just doesn't happen. You really grow within the system because they really want you to have that that Club Med DNA, that that kind of thing that no one can really explain just what it is, but that that Club Med DNA. And so at the beginning, you know, when we were at the development center that year, we were all kind of trying to, we were like, I think a group of maybe 20 that year um, that were all kind of vying for that year's promotion um, from all over the world. And we're kind of like, okay, so how many, we're trying to calculate, like how many CDVs are there? How many open resorts are there? Okay. So I guess they, they need four, they need four more. So they're going to choose four. And so they told us at the beginning, yeah, it's probably going to be a small promotion. We, it's going to be four. Then at one point they told us, no, it's looking like more like it's going to be six. And then at the end, it turned out uh, to be 10, they promoted 10. So it was a big difference from, from what we initially thought, but it's funny because since Kevin and I, you know, they, they, I think that we had this fear that they didn't want to make all 10 of us like all European or all North American, or they wanted to have, you know, they needed a diverse group because we have villages from all over the world. You know, we have more and more villages in Asia, opening villages all the time, all over. And, you know, there's a different 
kind of criteria that you need in, in a chief of village profile, like people from different countries who are native in certain languages and people who understand certain cultures and all that good stuff. So, I mean, Kevin and I were just convinced, like, there's no way they're going to take both of us. Um, it'll only be one, especially if they're only going to choose like four or six people. And apparently that that was the case. I know now because uh, it was maybe like a month or so before we got the news and um, we were in Punta and then Kevin Bat, who of course was the VP of, of operations at that time. And also I have to say one of the most incredible mentors and teachers I've ever had in my life, personally, professionally, everything. He was in the resort, you know, um, doing one of his usual rounds. And he said to Kevin and I, okay, like I need to have lunch with you two today. We need to talk. And so like we go to the corner of the restaurant where there's like, there's no one around and we're talking and he kind of says to us, okay, guys, you know, the promotion's coming up. Obviously, I really believe in both of you. And I'm telling Paris all the time that both of you deserve it. And, but, you know, just in case uh, you guys don't get it or one of you doesn't get it, let's talk about, you know, what you're going to do next so that you can make it next year. And he's like, you know, where would you want to go? Who would you want to work with? You know? what region of the world do you want to go to? Like, let's talk about what's going to be the most beneficial for you, for your growth. And I just remember like both Kevin and I kind of sitting there and we looked at each other and I think I was the first one to say it. I was like, you know, Kevin, I really think this is my year. I'm, I'm at my peak motivation. I really want this. I really, I believe that I can do it. And if I don't make it this year, I'm, I'm not sure that I want to, I want to wait another year, to be honest. And then, you know, Kevin Gagné kind of echoes the same thing. He goes, yeah, you know, I've been I've been at this for two years now. This will be my third year of seeing if I'm going to get it. And if it's not this year, then I, I guess it's just not meant to be. And what we didn't know at the time, but what Kevin Bat told us after was that after that lunch, he went and called Patricia Moretti over in Paris, who is, of course, the the HR, you know, in charge of all the chief of villages, and then also kind of managing that selection process for the new chief of villages. And he told her, you know, you got to take both of them, otherwise, we might lose them. So you can't just choose one or the other, and I'm not going to make that choice. So he kind of had to say to Paris, you know, which one is willing to wait another year in case we don't have a space for all of them. And that's why he kind of asked us the question that way. So fast forward a couple of weeks, it's a Friday. And you know what Club Med does when they're doing this selection process of chief of villages is that if you are not going to get it, they call you and they tell you. Um, and so all of us, like all of the pot CDVs from, from that time, we had this giant group message, right? Where we're kind of like, sharing, you know, how things were going and just checking in with each other all the time. So that week leading up to the announcement, people started writing in the message like, okay, guys, you know, I just got the call from Paris. Like, I'm not going to get it this year, but you know, best of luck for the rest of you. And so like little by little throughout the week, more and more people started writing like, sorry, guys, I got the call. It's not me. Da, da, da. And so I started to think like, oh my gosh, like, well, I haven't gotten the call and Kevin hasn't gotten the call either. So maybe this means that it's actually going to happen. And then that Friday, our chief of village, Pierre-Jean Montagnier, he was a French guy. He's um, also a fantastic chief of village, still, still actively a chief of village today. He was like running around all day. And, you know, I, I could tell that there was something in the air, but I didn't want to 
I didn't want to like think too much about it, but um, he was being very weird and very cryptic, basically saying, okay, like Kevin, Sophia tonight after the show, I want the whole team in the theater. We're going to do like, you know, a surprise for the GMs and we're going to do like a, you know, something like you'll see, I have it all planned, but I want the whole team in the theater and you guys make sure you're there and make sure you're on time. We have, we have a surprise for the guests. Uh, oh no, I remember it. It was in, it was International Women's Day. It happened to be International Women's Day. So he told us we, we have a surprise for the guests after the show for International Women's Day. Make sure the whole team is there. We have a couple of bouquets of flowers and we're gonna we're gonna give them out to to the women as they leave the theater. So, you know, the show ends, we all get on stage, and then Pierre Jean is talking to the audience about, you know, International Women's Day. And then he kind of brings Kevin and I up on stage and gives us these two envelopes and we don't really know what's going on. And we open the envelopes and read them. And I'll never forget, I opened my envelope and it was basically a card that said, you know, on behalf of Henri Giscard d'Estaing, Patricia Moretti and all of the the leadership of Club Med, uh, we want to congratulate you on your nomination to the position of chef de village. And I just like immediately started crying and I looked at Kevin to see like, oh my gosh, did he get the same news or what's going on? And he's just completely frozen. And then he kind of looks at me and, you know, we just had this big hug and it was just like craziness with music and cheering and confetti. And then, you know, they surprised us and brought out our moms that they had flown out there to, to celebrate this event with us. And I mean, that was still to this day, probably one of the greatest nights of my life. I mean, fireworks and champagne and just complete complete craziness but definitely you have a feeling like wow this is something so special and club med really knows how to celebrate these kinds of moments and then you also really feel like okay this is something that's going to really change my life so that was just such a beautiful beautiful memory wait did you say they flew out your mom yeah yeah it was how did she how does she keep that a secret you know a good question she didn't say a word but we were so they had, I, you know, they had asked like our friends and family to film like little video messages for us. And so we're all in the theater still. All of the guests from the resort are there. The whole geo team is there. And so we kind of come off the stage and sit down and we're watching these videos, right? Like on screen from all of our friends and family and we're crying. And it was just like, it was such an emotional moment. I, I have, you know, pictures and videos from this that I'll treasure forever. And then Pierre Jean gets back on the microphone and he says, you know, and I have the the pleasure and honor of welcoming Linda and, and Maris, our moms. And they came out on stage and that was just like the greatest surprise. Stayed and partied with us all night, obviously. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been watching Survivor for 23 years and it sounds like someone from HR Corporate is also watching Survivor because they do the exact same thing. Ah, Survivor. well, ha- Hammer was there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Hammer, <laughs> Hammer, you must be a Survivor fan. <laughs> yeah, he, he, and, he also surprised us that he flew in for that moment as well. So I, uh, And I like the fact, because you mentioned Patrizia Moretti, she was my chief of village for my first time in Columbus. So oh. I, spent, I, spent a, I spent a year with her. So this was kind of a full circle moment. Oh for my me, gosh. Knowing she, that she had a hand, hand in, you know, promoting you. Yeah, you know, she she is such a warm person you know we all used to call her like our Italian mama you know every time she would 
call us to check in with us or see us, you know, as a big hug and kiss and, Oh, my baby. She has the, she has the best laugh. She has the best laugh. If you can get her to laugh, there's nothing better than than hearing. (laughs) Yeah. She's, (laughs) she's a special person for sure. So, so yeah, that was, that was a great moment. And Punta Cana, that was March, 2019. Now looking back. All right. So now you're going to be chief of village officially in Ixtapa, correct? Yes. So uh, I got very, very, it was very fortunate the way things played out because, um, you know, as I mentioned, we were 10 new, newly promoted CDVs and that was ending the winter and going into the summer, there were three open villages that needed uh, a CDV. And so three of us got to start the chief of village job right away. So I was in um, Extapa, and then one of my counterparts was in Vitel, and then another one uh, went to Khmer in Turkey. Um, and then the rest, they they kind of did an, one last summer, kind of still in the assistant role with another chief of village, and then went on to, to get their own resorts in the winter. But yeah, so I got to start right off the bat um, in Extapa, which I don't know if you ever went there or worked there, but another very, very special place. Big village too, right? Yeah, you know, I think it's probably what I would consider mid-size, you know, 300 guest rooms. So it wasn't overwhelming, but Extapa, just the way that it's, the way that the resort is exists and the layout of it, it, it really doesn't feel overwhelmingly big. It feels really charming and really intimate, actually. And you got to practice your Spanish, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that looking back on that year, you know, you kind of, you go in and um, I, I couldn't have asked for a better assignment for my first experience, like managing a resort, you know, as a newly promoted resort general manager, just because the place is beautiful. The GMs are wonderful. You know, the Mexican local staff that works at that resort were just incredible. I mean, just like natural warmth, this natural sense of hospitality, so kind, so welcoming, you know, then my, my G5 management team, that's kind of another club med phrase. The top management of a club med village is known as the G5. So that's your finance manager, HR manager, maintenance manager, human resources manager, and then you have also your rooms division and F&B managers. So depending on the size of the resort, it could be five to six people. They were all, you know, extremely experienced and knowledgeable. And I was really able to lean on them and, and have a great dynamic with them. So I, I really had the time of my life that year. You're there up until March 2020, then something happens, right? Yeah. Wow. Gosh. It's so strange to look back on that time now because things just escalated so quickly. I remember it was the first week of March and I was actually out of the village because I was in Montreal for the recruitment. We were trying to recruit new Canadians um, to come and work. And at that point, I I knew that I was going to be leaving Ixtapa because I had been there for a year. Um, and then my next assignment was going to be Columbus. So I was actually looking for candidates for both resorts at that time. So I was in Montreal. It was the first week of March 2020. And things were already starting to get a little strange. You know, people were wearing masks on the plane and people were, you know, wearing gloves and a lot of sanitizer. And at that point we had already completely closed all of our club med resorts in China. So I remember just getting that news, you know, just before that and thinking like, wow, this is really serious. Like, I wonder, I wonder how long that's going to last. And I remember I left Montreal, got back to Ixtapa and like 
you know, two days later, the news came out that the U.S. was going to be closing its borders to the European Union. You know, cases were rising and all of these different cities were kind of going into lockdown. And I just remember Kevin Bat texted us on our chief of village kind of like group message. And he just said, uh, I'm going to send you guys a, a meeting link first thing tomorrow at 8 a.m. This is going to get really complicated really quick. And a week later, the resort was closed and everyone went home. It's honestly gives me chills thinking about it because it was such a sad and scary and stressful time to to manage and to make sure you're you're doing all the right things and that you know you're kind of respectful of everyone's feelings but then also not knowing when am I going to be able to to go back to work and reopen the resort you know so yeah you never want to you never want to leave on a note like that right no and i remember it was just i was so heartbroken um because i ended up going back home to la you know it was like kind of an everybody was feeling so scared and insecure about like what was happening and how long this was going to play out. And I just wanted to be with my parents. So all of us kind of were on like this temporary pause until further notice. No one really knew when we were going to be able to reopen any of the villages and kind of start to resume our business. But I remember, yeah, just being so heartbroken because I had been on this high for a year where, you know, in Extapa, like, the the vibe amongst the team was incredible our guest feedback was great the business was great it was just like all of you you kind of know it's like this rare moment where all of the factors are there for everything to just work perfectly and you're just enjoying so much and you're in such a happy place and you know how special this thing is that you're part of and then to have it just be cut short like that I was just I remember being so devastated but as I understand, you did get a call. I mean, <laughs> yeah. March to April, but around April, is it someone, yeah. someone from so, Montreal? Another great Montrealer calls you. Just kidding. I, so, I, I didn't mean. I didn't mean I was great. I meant Kevin Bat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I went home. I left Extapa. We we closed. I went home middle of March, 2020. I was home for two, two and a half months. And, you know, during that time, Kevin, um, who was, you know, in charge of, of us, since he was our RVP of operations, he did a really good job of still kind of like setting these weekly calls for us to stay, stay connected and to like discuss what's going on in the company and discuss what's going on with the pandemic. And, you know, looking ahead to like, when we do open the resorts, what's that going to be like, let's start to think about it. And, you know, we we stayed connected as much as possible, even though there wasn't really anything much for us to do at that point. And then, you know, two months later, it was, well, it was the very end of April. And Kevin called me and uh, I, I said, okay, hey, you know, what's what's going on? And he said, listen, we have an opportunity to reopen Sandpiper because all of the other countries where we have resorts are are not allowing it. But in Florida, we we can open with restrictions, of course, and we need to in order for the business to survive and, you know, not lose so much money during this time of closure. We need to just get the business going again and open a resort, even if it's at super low capacity. Um, it's something that we need to do. And he said, so you're up, <laughs> you know. And it, it's, it's just, I can't believe that I found myself in that position looking back on it because of all of the chef de villages that were in like the North America, Caribbean region, I was definitely the, 
the youngest and the least experienced just in terms of like years spent doing the job. But again, a serendipitous moment because it just so happened that the only resort we were able to open was the one in the United States. And I was the only American and I was the only one who would be able to do the job because no one was going to be able to get a visa at that time. So he's like, you know, I know that this is a lot to ask and it's a lot of pressure, um, but we're, we're going to be with you every step of the way. We're all behind you and like, let's do it. And so, yeah, like a week later I was, I was there and I spent about three weeks in Sandpiper, just kind of getting everything ready with the team before we actually, before we actually opened. And because someone noticed your club med CV noticed you didn't do Sandpiper your first season, they were determined <laughs> that you would have Sandpiper on your resume. Right? Yeah. You know, and it's <laughs> funny because I actually, I had, I had at that point, kind of dipped in and out of Sandpiper a few different times during my career. I obviously did that one summer season that I told you about with with Kareem Faj. But then otherwise, like I, I remember at one point, like between my Alp seasons, they needed someone to go there for a month and help. So I did. And then another, they had like a full resort buyout by Renault, the, the French car company. And so it was going to be like a full resort buyout of, of French guests. And they needed French speakers to go and kind of help with that buyout. So they sent me there for that. So I had been in and out of Sandpiper, but, you know, I, I never thought, okay, I'm going to go there as the resort manager, as the chief of village, because obviously my, my dream was to be abroad and to get to go to other countries. But at that point it was like, it was really just the the chance of a lifetime to go back to work and to be kind of the first one piloting, you know, how we're going to open a club med and operate a club med during a pandemic. It was, it was wild. Yeah. It must've been, especially because uh, you're the first like person we've had on it's giving us uh, what the you know the whole COVID thing was like from the from a chief of village perspective so uh, yeah you know it was it was a lot because you know club med had commissioned this like scientific committee of you know medical experts to help us develop what our protocols should be and so we developed and branded this program called safe together in french it was ensemble en sécurité and that was basically our our new program of hygiene standards of you know social distancing standards you know everything that we had to do in order for this to be as safe as possible um and then obviously you know the people that are are choosing to go to a resort during during the pandemic kind of know what what that entails but um we also obviously had to reassure everyone that it was going to be a safe experience and that you know, you're not going to get sick by coming to Club Med, but it was really tough because just operationally, everything about what we had to do was different. I mean, everything was different from the way that we cleaned the rooms to the way that we served the food to, you know, how we spaced the tables out in the restaurant to how we welcomed the guests at check-in. Everything about it was different. So I just remember, you know, I was like, we need to get the GOs and the team here as soon as possible, because this is going to take a while to train and to practice and to like get this to sink in because they're just going to fall back to what they're used to doing, which like, you know, in Club Med, you're trained to do. And after a certain point, you you know these things with your eyes closed. So it was like a whole process of like unlearning those habits and learning these new ones in order to just like not make any mistakes that could potentially be really risky, you know, if, if people did get sick or if there was a spread of the virus going around the resort, like all of those things that were 
were a risk. So yeah, it was, it, I honestly, it was, it was the, the challenge of my professional life still. Speaking of challenge, a challenge, what, what's it like doing galas freed from desire wearing a mask? <laughs> well, you know, that was the crazy thing because at the beginning we were like, okay, you know, we obviously can't have like dance parties and crazy signs because people are still supposed to be social distancing. So And we definitely can't, you know, have parties inside the bar or inside the theater. We should try to be outside as much as possible. So that was really like touch and go trial and error, try to like have as many things as possible outside, try to just do like live music or a DJ or something more chill. And we didn't really do crazy signs like in the traditional way. Like, of course, we did them at the pool and we did them, but tried to like have people, you know, keep a healthy distance. But you know, it was really delicate because I remember after being open for a while, I just decided I'm like, you know, the guests really want the club med spirit and they want to have a good time. Let's do a couple crazy signs, but let's do them outside and let's do it where there's a lot of space. And, you know, some people love it. And some people were like, we can't believe you're doing this. This isn't safe. So it was really a challenge to kind of be aware of that full range of expectations from the people who you know, just wanted to have a good time and didn't even believe that the pandemic was a real thing to the people who were hyper aware of every potential touch point and risk that could potentially spread the virus. And then you had like everything in between as well. So, but I would say, you know, that first season, we were very conservative in the types of like entertainment and activities we were doing. And then as time went on, we kind of lightly started to introduce things back um, as like the numbers went down and as you know the vaccine came out for example but yeah it was it was definitely a challenge because you feel like you know club med is this place where people come to be together with other people that's just like inherent in the whole club med experience and then in a pandemic you're telling people to stay apart and to like not commingle and not get too close it's it's um it's kind of like contradictory you know so so yeah it was tough but I just remember having so many conversations with with Kevin at that point and he was saying you know it's it's we can't take any risk um, because we need to get we need to convince the GMs that we're not doing anything irresponsible and that it's a safe experience to come to Club Med and if anything risks that, then we risk potentially like not being able to open the rest of our resorts if it's not going well here. So I just remember like feeling this incredible responsibility to not to not do anything that could potentially throw off, you know, our trajectory of being able to to get back to normal. So, yeah. And after three seasons, Sandpiper, now do you apply to corporate like club med corporate yeah. did, did they ask you to apply how does that no, so I'll yeah I'll give you the background of that so you know I, I've really been talking to you mainly about like my village experiences and like my chief of village journey kind of like in parallel to all of that all throughout my my village career where I was working in the resorts and taking on these different positions and going to different locations. In parallel, I was always really involved in every one of the resorts that I went to in the Club Med Sustainability Directive and in the Club Med Foundation. So in every one of the resorts that I went to, you know, I was like volunteering to be the Green Globe coordinator because every year every resort had to be certified and then recertified 
with the Green Globe certification, which comes with a whole set of kind of like sustainability standards that the resorts have to meet and you have to audit. And so I, I took a huge interest in that and I loved kind of leading that and, and being in charge of that. And then I loved organizing all of the fundraisers with the foundation and, you know, the worldwide snack where we would invite the local kids to come and we had all these great partnerships. So I was always at the same time in parallel, really involved with that. And then the season that I was in Punta Cana, right before I got promoted, I was obviously, as I told you, managing the Zen Oasis, the adult section of, of the resort. But all of us um, kind of had like a special, I guess you could call like professional project that was part of our kind of chief of village development plan. And mine was around sustainability and defining, you know, a new sustainability program that we could deploy in the resorts and kind of what things we should focus on and what those pillars will be and, and, and how we can get that launched and with Punta Cana kind of as like the pilot. So I ended up doing that and, and it was really, really fun and fantastic for me. And I think that through all of my just kind of like voluntary interest and participation in all of these things, which really aligned like with my, my studies and my background and what I wanted to do long-term I kind of like got this brand internally within Club Med as being like, you know, the the CSR sustainability girl, you know, who was always really interested in that. And, and people knew me for that. And so I started getting pulled in more and more to, you know, these like sustainability projects that needed somebody to kind of oversee or, you know, setting the standards for making sure that all of the resorts were in compliance with Club Med's sustainability standards. So I just became more and more involved. And then I remember it was at that time that I was in Sandpiper. I'd been there for a year and a half. And there was something as well, I think, about coming back and being in the United States for that period of time that really made me reflect on like, oh, wow, you know, it's been so long since I've actually like lived here in the US and it's kind of nice. And I kind of like, you know, being back in my country and I could see myself maybe taking a break and doing like a mission in the Miami office and seeing how that feels and not like continuing on this like nomadic lifestyle of living in this country and then changing to this country six months later. So I, I that seed kind of got planted just by me being in Florida, which I hadn't lived long-term in the U.S. at that point for like eight years. We were having like a chief of village seminar for North America. And Kevin was explaining to us kind of what the new strategic priorities of the company were going to be coming up the following year. And one of them was sustainability and accelerating Club Med really as like a sustainable hotel brand and becoming more aggressive with our sustainability objectives. And he was saying, you know, we're going to be opening a position in Miami corporate office for someone to just lead that full time. And when he said that, I just like something clicked in me where I was like, oh my God, that's literally my dream job, you know, going back to when I first applied to work at Club Med and I was so drawn to that part of the business. And I was like, I feel like if I can transit from this experience, this amazing experience in the villages where like, I truly, I know the brand, I know the operation, I know the company, I know how things work. So that would already be a very easy part of it for me to then working full time on this part of the company, it would just be like fate. And I remember I, I was like afraid to ask him if they would consider me for that position because I had only been a chief of village at that point for three years. And I knew that they were kind of expecting me to, to continue that role for a while longer, at least I, I kind of 
drummed up my courage and I called Kevin one day and I told him like, I really want this role and this makes perfect sense for me. And here's why. And he was kind of like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's perfect. I think it's meant to be. And if it's what you really want, like we'll talk to Paris and we'll, we'll release you for this next year from your chief of village responsibilities so that you can, you can try this out and that you can do that job. So I ended up like, you know, writing a letter of motivation of, you know, why I wanted this experience. And then, and then they ended up giving me, giving me the opportunity, which was amazing. So that's how that all happened. Awesome. <laughs> so tell me, Sophia, and all your time in Club Ed, you know, from 2015 up until, you know, 2022, was there, were there people that you enjoyed working with? Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, too many to name. Um, yes, yes. But I, I, I do, I do have, of course, at the top of mind. You know, the people that really were the most influential in terms of believing in me and developing me and pushing me. You know, one of them was like my first ever manager in Club Med, who was Julia Fitzgerald. She was the reception manager my first my first year working in Club Med, and she's still one of my best friends to this day. Uh, another another American. As well, um, I think I mentioned her earlier, Natasha, Natasha Lair. She was my manager um, when I was working in the exclusive collection. She was just, you know, so, so smart and sharp and talented and elegant. And I just remember like being a a young woman looking up to her so much as like, this is, this is who I want to be, you know? So she was great. Obviously all of my different chief of villages, I, I have to mention Kareem again, because he, you know, for years after even that we worked together, he still remained a mentor for me and someone who always gave me the right advice at the right time. So, you know, all of those people, I have to mention another one as well, Mauricio Castro. I don't know if you know him. He's He's been in the Club Med world for a long time as well. Currently food and beverage manager, I believe in Turks, but I first met him in Cancun my first season. He was the bar manager and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me a lot. And then, um, you know, full circle moment as well. When I started in Ixtapa as a chief of village, he he was the food and beverage manager. So just someone that I could rely on as someone who I had known for years and really trusted. And then, of course, you know, wouldn't be my career wouldn't have happened the way it did if it weren't for this like incredible foursome working in the Miami office, um, which was, of course, Kevin Batt. Hammer, Howard McCarley, and then he didn't necessarily work in Miami, but he was heavily involved as well in in our mentorship and our development, which was the infamous Hendel. So yeah. those four guys, you know, really like the cowboys of Club Med North America. Like they have walked the walk. They are so incredible, and they have so many stories and so much to share. And I just remember, you know they arranged for us kind of led by Kevin when we were, you know, potential chief of villages, like arranged this road trip, this like summer of development where we went to Punta Cana and then we went to Sandpiper and then we went to Cancun and spent a couple of days of each where he had like this curriculum of what we needed to learn and, you know, what it really meant to, to manage a resort. And it was just incredible. They, those four were so pivotal for me. So I want to definitely give the respect where it's due. Okay. And have you had time to think about, you miss anything about Club Med? Of course. (laughs) You know, even though I'm, I'm out of the Club Med world now, I, I, you know, you're never really completely out because 
I still have so many friends and connections who are still actively in the club med world. So I maintain a connection to it. Um, and I'll, I'll have it in my heart forever. I still go to club med too. You know, I went last year to Turks with my parents for Christmas. Uh, I go any chance I get, but I think that the, the top things that I really miss are the things that I consider the things that make club med so unique that I truly don't believe um, exist anywhere else. And one of them just being the incredible camaraderie that you feel being part of a geo team, being surrounded by so many nationalities, so many languages, so many cultures and how just like none of that matters. And everybody really is this, this unit and you really feel that you're part of something and that you take care of each other and that you're all playing this incredible role to, to make something work and, and you're just having a blast doing it. So definitely that, that camaraderie and that team spirit. Um, I miss all of the traveling. I'm not going to lie. You know, the time that I was in club med, I, I got to live in Mexico. I got to live in France. I got to live in the Bahamas, Dominican Republic, you know, Mexico again, I traveled to Morocco. I, I got to go truly all over the place and see some amazing places just by virtue of, of doing my job. So the opportunity to travel and move around and kind of constantly get that, that itch scratched is definitely something that I miss. And then I, I do miss the people as well. The people that I just mentioned, you forge a certain kind of connection and bond, I think in club med. And I, I, I'm always careful to say like, oh, you know, these people are my family, because I, I think that, you know, there is a difference, like there's your actual family, and then, you know, there's, there's something else and that you should make that distinction. But I have to say that the connections that I have with people that I went through these experiences with, it's, it's the closest thing, I think, to the, the feeling of family outside my actual family. And that's really special. So I miss the people that are are really my best friends from Club Med who I don't get to see as often anymore, but but just grateful that they're still in my life. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, well, it's from the heart. I mean it. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, Sophia, this has been so awesome. We're coming uh, to the end of our, our interview, the supersize interview for uh, for January 2024. Before we go, though, I'd just like to ask you, like you you sound like you don't you don't regret anything, like, you know, everything happened, how it happened. You wouldn't change anything, right? No, absolutely not at all. I, I truly think that it, you know, the time that I spent in Club Med was the time of my life. And I'm so happy that I spent those years doing what I did. I wonder if this occurred to your mom, like when your mom was a geo, I wonder if your mom ever thought, you know, yeah. would it be weird if one day my daughter turns out to be a chief of village? Did you ever, did we've, you ever talk we've about discussed that? It. It, was, okay. it was nothing that she ever believed would ever happen, particularly okay. because <laughs> okay. that, that drew me out of my shell because I was in my shell for sure before going to work for Club Med. And now I just, I have so much more you know, confidence and I've developed so much as a person that I needed to go through that in order to, to be able to experience who I am today, I think. And you sound like you would, you would recommend it to, to anyone to give it a try, right? Absolutely. 100% resounding. Yes. I'm a huge proponent of the personal and professional development than one can have working for club med. And I would recommend it to absolutely anyone whether you do it for a year or a couple of years, it's something that can only bring you good and only bring you more opportunities after. Well said. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs>
Well, so I'm you, sure everyone yeah. who who has who has been in my shoes also can agree. So yes, I'm yes. just saying it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, everyone has has mostly said yes, the exact same thing. We all yeah. we're, we're all glad we did it, and definitely so believe, would it, guys, believe it, guys. Believe it. Well, thank you so much for being part of this special, uh, you know, New Year's Day episode. I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. It's so kind of you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast to you know, talk about all these memories again and happy new year, everybody. You heard it. All right, everyone. That was Sophia Luca and uh, we will see you all next week with another installment of my first season. Here's where we say goodbye to everyone, Sophia. Bye-bye. Take care now.